0: Hello, everyone. My name is Joe Lustig, and this is the Georgetown Public Policy Review Podcast. As we record this, we're about a year away from the 2024 presidential election, and it seems completely inevitable that we're headed for a rematch between President Joe Biden and former President Donald Trump. This is in spite of the fact that both men are extremely unpopular by the standards of most presidential candidates. And when you think about it, that's a little bit strange. How can it be that even though most Americans are thoroughly unenthusiastic about both candidates, Our political system is incapable of giving voters any other realistic options. One cause of this conundrum is the dominance that the two major political parties exert on American politics. Our guest today is Dustin Wall, the Deputy Executive Director of Fix Our House, an organization that advocates for significant changes to how we, in the United States, conduct elections. Wall. Welcome to the Georgetown Public Policy Review Podcast. Thank you for being here.
1: Thanks. Very happy to, to be here.
0: Great. So, why don't you just start out by introducing yourself, telling us uh, what you do?
1: Yeah. So, um, I am the Deputy Executive Director at Fix Our House, uh, which is an organization that's been around for um, a couple years um, advocating for proportional representation in Congress, which is something that we'll talk a lot more about in a bit. Um, but uh, yeah, I've been here for the past two years. Um, it's been great to, to work on this reform that I, I really believe uh, is, is key to fixing some of the dysfunction in Washington. Um, and before that, I, I did some other advocacy work uh, that you know that's made this whole entire project you know very meaningful. So that's a, that's a bit about how we got here.
0: Great. So you know, fix our house, which is the organization you're you're with is is dedicated, like you said, to proportional representation, which is sort of a specific uh, policy reform. And and I think if I understand correctly, and throughout this conversation correctly, if I'm wrong, more broadly, is is sort of a, a way of trying to create multi-party democracy in the United States. And so yeah. So I thought we would start there. like the, the implicit argument of Fix Our House is that two-party democracy, which is what we have in the United States, which is, is different than many of our democracy peers throughout the world, is itself the cause of a lot of our dysfunction. So, so why is that? Why is the two-party system and the stranglehold that our two major parties have on our politics a cause of a lot of our, our dysfunction and our paralysis?
1: Yeah, that's a good that's a good question. Um, and yeah, that's that's fundamentally what what we're arguing. Um, Lee Drutman, one of the co-founders of our organization, is a political scientist at New America, and he wrote a book a few years ago called "Breaking the Two Party Doom Loop." Uh, which is, is you know, our, our uh, diagnosis of, of the problem, that we're in a, in a doom loop where polarization between the two parties leads to more dysfunction, which causes the parties to pull themselves further and further apart, kind of walling themselves off from each other, which leads to yet more dysfunction, which leads to people, you know, geographically sorting where they live, uh, you know, um, with like-minded people, um, and that, that overall, the fact that we just have two parties acting on each other is effectively splitting our country in two. Now, you know, people, you know, observant listeners might say, "Hmm, well, you know, the United States has had two parties for a lot of its history, and we have, we seem to have a unique problem with dysfunction right now, and that's very true. What what we argue, what, what Lee has argued um, historically is that For most of our country's history, we've effectively had a four-party system disguised in our two-party system. That we used to have a system where liberal Republicans could get elected in places like New York and conservative Democrats could get elected in places like the South or the Midwest. I'm from South Dakota originally. Um, I think when I was born, South Dakota had, both its uh, senators were Democrats. It's one representative was a Democrat and are all Republicans. And you know, in in a state like uh, New York, there used to be a lot more um, kind of uh, Rockefeller uh, Republicans that were getting elected, and now you know it's mostly Democrats there. So why has why has this happened? Um, a lot of it has to do with you know, like I said, geographic sorting um, with people moving to different places, but a lot of it comes down to our single member congressional districts, the way that we elect Congress, um, and not to put the cart ahead of the horse to get into districting and all that stuff. Um, I know we'll, we'll talk more about that, but that a lot of this comes down to the way that we elect Congress is, is really exacerbating the two party divide in this country.
0: That's, that's really a helpful outline. So, i want to get into to sort of specific solutions but first i think an important sort of next question is what's stopping there from being third parties in the united states you know like i mentioned before many european democracies you know israel uh you know australia democracies across the globe have these multi-party systems so someone might be listening and say hey you know i'm all for a, a third party but look if if people wanted a third party or a fourth or a fifth party? Why wouldn't there be mm-hmm. one by now? No one's stopping them. No one's no one's preventing the Libertarian Party from running, or the Green Party from running, or the Socialist Party from running. Um, if people really yeah. wanted more parties, there would be more parties. So, what what how would you respond to that?
1: And I'd say there are more parties. I mean, you know, there are Libertarian Party exists. The Green Party exists. You know, there are these things. But they're not—they're not viable at competing at at a national level like the Republicans or Democrats are, and there's a reason for that. Um, it's the closest thing that we have in political science to like a law, uh, is something that that's called Duverger's Law, which is basically this, you know, general rule that says when you use the type of election system that the United States uses—a winner-take-all system where only one representative represents each congressional district like like in the house all 435 of our representatives just represent one district when you have that system combined with plurality election rules where the all you have to do is win more votes than your opponent and you win the seat when you have that kind of a system you'll end up with only two parties and so that's the diagnosis of of you know, why we, why we just have two. It's, it's because of the way that we elect Congress. Um, if we were to, to change how we elect Congress, which is what Fixer House is advocating, and move to a system of proportional representation where multiple representatives uh, represent each district rather than just one, um, that would lower the threshold of votes needed to win a seat, uh, which would make it possible in the long run for new parties to form. So you can sort of think about it like, you know, imagine starting a small business and you're sort of the only way that you could become a viable business is if you immediately capture 50% of the market of whatever your product is. That's impossible. That would be a, a huge lift. You have to be able to start smaller than that. You, you have to be able to start with a smaller percentage of the market. And right now in our winner take all election systems, uh, you have to, you have to win the you have to win the whole seat in order to get a seat right uh in a proportional system you would be able to win seats with, with 30 40 percent of the vote in proportionate to to your party's you know amount of support from the electorate and so that would would over time make it more possible for for new parties to form and it would make it possible for uh, conservatives to get elected and parts of the country where right now, uh, like we were talking about a minute ago, it's harder for them to get elected, for liberals to get elected in, in you know, bright red parts of the country. You know, currently uh, one good way to look at it is uh, Massachusetts has nine representatives. They're all Democrats, but about a third of Massachusetts uh, votes consistently Republican, a third of Massachusetts voted for Trump in 2020. Those Republicans will never have a voice in Congress because they don't make up a majority of any one district. And so because they don't make up a majority of any one district, they'll, you know, they get 0% of their state's delegation to Congress rather than the 30% that they deserve. And you have the same thing in a state like Oklahoma, where Democrats are locked out of, of having representation in, in Congress because uh, they don't make up a majority of any one of those districts. and. You know the the problem isn't simply gerrymandering. Your listeners are probably very familiar with with what gerrymandering is, where politicians draw district lines to to benefit, you know, themselves. Um, that's a huge problem, and it would it would start to go away if we move to a proportional system because it's very hard to to gerrymander multi member districts. But in the current system gerrymandering isn't isn't the whole problem. 90 percent of our congressional districts were uncompetitive uh, this last election cycle in 2022. And it's not just because politicians have gerrymandered their districts. It's, again, because Republicans and Democrats increasingly live in different places. Um, And so it's very hard to draw districts in a state like Massachusetts that would, you know, that would send a Republican to Congress um, or that would send three Republicans to Congress, you know, a, a, in proportion to their party's amount of support. There, it's logistically hard to do these things just because of how geography works. Because Republicans in Massachusetts are spread out because they don't all live in a certain place. So that's kind of getting into the weeds a little bit, but that's uh, that's why we we have a, a two party system um, is is the way that we the way that we elect. Um, Congress. Now, obviously, we have this culture of two parties. Now, we're not arguing that you know you move to the system tomorrow and snap your fingers and boom, we all of a sudden have six parties. Um, but it would it would change the incentive structure. It would change the permission structure. It would prevent the um, the spoiler effect that we have now, where a third party, and we'll probably get into this more, but like a third party that's running in a in a seat, you know, running for a seat that there's only. Only can be one winner because there's only one seat. They end up often playing a, a spoiler and just taking away votes from whatever side is closest to them, because there can only be one winner at the end of the day. When you have multiple winner elections, you don't have that dynamic anymore. Um, so that's kind of a that's kind of a summary of of why we why we just have two and how we can maybe come out the other end of it. That's
0: that's a fantastic uh, you know summary and and so. To sort of unpack that point just a little bit more, so there are two features of this. There's the the single-member districts, and there's the, the the winner take all, you know plurality take all. Yeah. Although I, you know some states do have sort of runoffs where you have to, yeah, you know. But but for the most part, in most states and most elections, you know, as long as you get one more vote than second place, you win. Um, and so what what that does is if you're a you know if you're the Green Party and You're maybe gaining some popularity and you grow in a particular state or in a particular congressional district, you grow from 1% of the vote to 5% of the vote. It doesn't matter. Like even though you've quintupled your your popularity and the extent to which you're able to gain voters, 5% is nowhere near enough to win an election. Um, Whereas if we had, you know, a system where every district elected 10 or 20 people, parties that, you know, had a solid base of support like, for example, the Republican Party in Massachusetts or the Democratic Party in Oklahoma, they yeah. had a solid base of support, but didn't were never able to actually get first place, they would still have representation. And so if you create a system where they can at least, you know, the Green Party is probably never going to, like, govern the United States. But but yeah. there, that's, there's a big difference between that what we have now, where they almost never even get, you know, a single seat in Congress, and a world where... They could get five percent of the seats in Congress, and that would that would still give those set of voters some voice that they don't have now. Is that is that a that's, fair description?
1: Yeah, that's totally right. And you don't even have to go up to like ten or twenty members being elected in one district. You can, I think, um, a lot of political scientists suggest that the the sort of the ideal number is like between five and seven representatives per district. Um, and we can we should get into a little bit more of like the you know the other potential benefits of that because there are there are a lot, um, but yeah, that's it. And 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 it's not just that like you know the the Green Party today has supporters that are disappointed because their Green Party candidates don't win. It's that there's a bunch of Democrats that would really like the Democratic Party to be different than it currently is. There's a bunch of Republicans that would really like a different kind of Republican Party. So it's we we still have um, signs of, you know, sort of hidden life of a multi-party system, um, disguised by our current system. It's just that we have this, we have the, the right conditions for this kind of forever two-party warfare that's always, always escalating. And so you move to a proportional system that starts to scramble that two-party dynamic and you get, you know, maybe, a you get more, um, Romney-like Republicans elected in a place like Massachusetts, sort of a, a different kind of Republican than than is very viable in the single winner districts that we have today. You get more, you know, John Tester, Joe Manchin types. Like I said, I, you know, I come from South Dakota, where we used to have a lot of Democrats there. They were they were moderate Democrats. They were Midwest, you know, uh, Democrats that are 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 getting extinct. You know, and it's the same with kind of more moderate Republicans. So this would even if it's not splitting into to more parties right away it would create a it would have a scrambling effect on the two party doom loop that that we're stuck in and would would create viable pathways to power for people that don't just hold to you know the the hard line on on their party's current plan to win their party's current agenda
0: got it okay so and I'm from Louisiana, by the way, so I remember Mary Landrieu and John Bro. There you go. Not that long ago yeah. that uh, you know Louisiana had Democrats, like a lot of states in the South, really. So yeah, okay. So there are there are institutional features of the way we do elections that more or less make it impossible for any third party to gain traction. So we've we've teased proportional representation. Let's let's get into that now. That is sort of the specific reform that that your organization is focused on. So what is proportional representation? How does it work? And how would it you know, mitigate this problem.
1: Yeah. So it's simply put, it's a system where a party's amount of support um, translates directly into its number of seats in the legislature. Um, Where, you know, if a party gets 30% of the vote, it gets about 30% of the seats. If it gets 60% of the vote, it gets about 60% of the seats. Unlike right now, where if you don't get above Fifty percent, uh, you get zero percent of the seats, um, you know, or whatever the plurality rule is. Sometimes it's like you know forty-five percent or whatever, where you just win more than either side. But the point is, right now, uh, it's you know, it's not tied to proportionality at all. So you have you know, if if you happen to live in a district that is sixty percent one party and you know forty percent the other party or so you'll never have a shot to get any representation in that system. Proportional representation flips that on its head. um, And it does that by, like I said, moving to multiple winners per district rather than just one. So a state like Massachusetts with its nine representatives per district, or rather with its current system of nine representatives, each representing one district, um, instead of having nine districts, they might have two. One that elects four representatives and one that elects five, or they might have three that each elect three members, or they might have one that each that just elects nine members. But the point is, it would allow for the minority parties to have some shot at actually electing representatives who speak for uh, for the people there. So some yeah, you know, there's there's several different ways to do it. There's um, about 80 percent of democracies around the world use this kind of system. Um, there's Uh, a number of u.s cities now that that use some form of proportional representation portland oregon uh, just recently became the the largest city to adopt it for its city council so they now have multi-seat districts um, for their city council where you know each district has multiple council members representing that district um it's like i said it's it's used in countries all over the world and there's there's different ways to do it you can combine it with ranked choice voting, uh, which is how these, how Portland does it, how some other places in the United States do it. Um, what a lot of countries do is they have a, a party list system where um, depending on the exact nature of the system, there's there's different variations, but essentially where your vote for a candidate is also counted as a vote for that candidate's party. So like leftover votes uh, beyond what that candidate needed to, to win their seat would then go to, to other people in their party. Um, point is the result is proportionality. The, the result is your party receiving as much of a voice in Congress as it has support in the electorate. And right now we have a system that, that doesn't result in that at all and that is really a sloppy form of, of representation. And so some of the, the, the kind of the key benefits of proportional representation, we've already talked about a couple of them, but one is, is like I said, that it lowers the threshold for other parties. So now you don't have to get 50% plus 1 to to win seats. You can you know win seats with 20 30% of the vote. So that Republicans or rather you know whoever it is, Republicans in a place like Massachusetts, Democrats in a place like Oklahoma can win seats. uh new parties can compete. It you know that changes again the the type of politician that's getting elected. Um you're going to see a lot more diversity uh, that actually looks like the country in the sense that you'll see more moderate Republicans, moderate Democrats. You'll see more you know, people holding all kinds of different ideologies that are actually more representative with where the American public is at. Um, that scrambles the kind of us versus them binary logic that makes up a lot of campaigning today. Um, I, I, in the 2020 election, there was like a poll conducted shortly after that showed that a majority of Biden voters were primarily voting against Trump rather than for Biden, and a majority of Trump voters were doing the same, primarily voting against Biden. And that we see that all up and down the ballot in, in House races, where the, the strategy is campaign against the other party because their unpopularity is your strength, you know? And uh, in a system where we have close margins in the Electoral College, close margins in the House, close margins in the Senate, it creates this incentive for the parties to really escalate their us versus them war and make governing as hard as possible for the party that's in power when your party's out of power. Not, you know, never compromise because compromise is a sign of weakness. And you know is is handing uh, you know a gift to the other party, and so don't do that. Just you know do trench warfare to, to try to right. fight the other party at all costs. Um, a proportional system changes that incentive structure uh, because you no longer have just a choice of you know one versus one. You have you have more uh, more options more more paths for uh, for winning seats. So um, it also, like I said, makes gerrymandering uh, much, much harder in a state that would have, you know, an at-large congressional district, it would make gerrymandering impossible because you can't gerrymander, you know, a state. Um, so these are these are some some of the the benefits and there's you know there's more where that came from but uh, those are kind of some of the the overall ways that that we think this would really dramatically change the incentive structure in Washington who goes to Washington and and with that kind of have a trickle trickle down effect in the culture uh, because it scrambles it scrambles this you know ever escalating warfare that the country has been in for for so long like like Lee Drummond our co founder always says you know there's no such thing as the lesser of three evils or the lesser of five evils. Right. There is the lesser of two evils because you can just blame the other side right? right But when you have more options, more more paths to power, more viable choices that us versus them doom loop uh, gets scrambled
0: So I, I actually wasn't planning on asking about ranked choice voting, but since you mentioned it, I think that's ranked choice voting is one really interesting related policy reform that's been proposed and implemented in a couple of states and had, you yeah. know, in my view, some really interesting results that sort of show a proof of concept that it, it does work to elect more moderate uh, candidates mm-hmm. that better reflect views. So can you just just real quickly, briefly talk about what rank choice voting is um, and how it works and why it's helpful?
1: Yeah. So um, rank choice voting is a system where candidates, I mean, it's, it's self-explanatory. You, you rank uh, your choices instead of voting for just one, uh, so you'd rank, you rank know, yeah one, two, three, four, five, however many candidates there are, um, in in the order that you that you like them, and then there, after the, the first vote is tabulated, then you know, votes are are distributed based on the overall ranking based on how you know who voters chose, and I I think I think you're right that we've seen some positive results of ranked choice voting I think it's a good idea it's a good reform I, I don't think that it's as transformative of a reform as proportional representation mm-hmm. um, in terms of its ability to to pull us out of this two-party binary divide that we're in mm-hmm. it doesn't it's not as natural of a lead into a multi-party system um, because again you still have single winner districts right. where only one uh, representatives chosen at the end of the day. So I, I think I think it's a it's a good idea. It's a good system. I you know there's probably a lot of other areas in the United States that would really benefit from from moving to something like that. And it well and I, I think I mentioned this earlier, but it can be combined with proportional representation. It can be combined with uh, multi-member districts to result in proportionality, uh, which is a big strength that that it has as a reform. Um, so. You know, there's a lot of benefits to it, but I think that focusing on the end goal of proportionality is what's what's really going to be transformative.
0: Absolutely. That, I think, makes a whole lot of sense. And, um, you know, I, we did see sort of you know, ranked choice voting sort of kept Sarah Palin out of Congress. You know, in Alaska, which is, I think, one of the two states to implement it, you know, had we mm-hmm. just had yeah. regular voting, she would have won the most votes. But because the people who voted for some anti-Sarah yep. Palin candidate uh, in that second ballot, they, they're their second choice wasn't Palin, and so when you added those up, uh, and so I yep. think that you know a, a, situa- a, a good example of how plurality, in and of itself, leads to these distorted results where we get uh, members of Congress that most people actually don't want and would would prefer mm-hmm. something else. So mm-hmm. let's shift. To, so you mentioned that culture was part of this. We've had this two party system forever. The the Democrats and Republicans have been the two primary parties since really the the civil war, you know, 150 plus years. And and there is an element of this that's cultural. And when I think about our current moment in politics, and this is sort of moving from Congress, where there are these institutional factors that prevent the, the success of third parties to, to the presidential race, where I think maybe culture plays a bigger role. You know, we have this election coming up. Um, it is astounding that we appear to be completely inevitably headed <laughs> towards a, yeah. a, a Biden versus Trump rematch where we have an incumbent president whose approval rating is in the high 30s, low 40s, and a former president who's four times indicted, twice impeached, very possibly convicted of a felony by the time he would hypothetically take office. And the, the, the political system seems to not be able to prevent this rematch from happening. Um, what do you you mean do you think
1: you think those guys aren't aren't representative of of the country
0: overall (laughs) (laughs) right i mean it's 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 crazy (laughs) i mean you know the the normal way this should work is that um the parties themselves would realize we're about to nominate an incredibly unpopular candidate but on the democratic Mm -hmm. side i think unseating an incumbent even a really unpopular government yeah. is incredibly just difficult. And on the Republican yeah. side, the the, you know, the party appears to have just completely lost its mind. So we have no way out. And so it seems to me that if there were ever a presidential election where a third party was going to be to have some degree of success, this would be the one because we're we're, you know, mm-hmm. we have two really unpopular candidates. Notwithstanding the maybe possible Nikki Haley coming to the rescue on the Republican side, we're going to get these two candidates. And so It's striking to me that, at least so far, maybe something will change in the next few months, but to the extent that we have third party candidates, they are not really compelling. We have RFK Jr., who is primary, you know, claim to fame as being a a conspiracy theorist. And we have this no labels thing, which and, and maybe you can talk about that, maybe you have a different perspective on it than I do, but my perception of no labels is it's it's sort of just a third party whose entire Platform is we think it's a good idea for there to be a third party. I've heard interviews where, yeah, you know, leaders are asked like, "Well, what do you believe? What, what's your actual ideology?" And they're like, "Oh, third party would be good." And so that you know that, yeah. that, that's not really what yeah. we're looking for here. So, I guess you know what, what's your perspective on that? What, why don't we see a third party come together, or a meaningful third party come together in this presidential election?
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, that's a good question yeah I mean no labels is like it's right there in the name, like they don't want to label <laughs> they, like we don't want to label that we don't want to label what we're about uh i mean i I wouldn't if I was you know shopping and none of the none of the clothes I was looking for had labels on them, I would be concerned i i, I want I want a party identifier to tell me who I'm voting for just like I want you know i I think that sorry to to take your question in a different direction but i I think that that speaks to also the importance of of political parties. Uh, There's a lot of people that, that will say, you know, man, both parties are terrible. We need another option. So what we really need is like an independent to come in and just not be, you know, not be bought and sold by the, the, by the two major parties and really be their own guy. Uh, And that's great in theory, but what it means is that you're electing a, a representative or a president or whatever that doesn't, have the ideological, uh, structure of a party and sort of all the policy infrastructure that that comes with that. Um, you don't have clear indicators to voters of what, you know, what that person will do once elected. Um, and you know, it, it, it really sets you up for, for, Politicians to be more manipulative uh, and less clear with voters about what they do or don't actually believe, because they get to just be like, "Oh, we're an independent. We're kind of, you know, we're different than the other guys. We're not going to tell you how," um, or only focus on, you know, the the most high salience issues, and then have a bunch of wacky beliefs that that you know don't don't come to uh, the light of day as much. So I'm not. I mean, not not to go too hard on on no labels, because I think that what they're doing really is, does come from a place of good intentions. I think they are, like you said, they're looking at this situation and they're saying, we need another option. It's crazy that we're stuck maybe probably repeating what happened in 2020. So we need to somehow, you know, get in there with a, with a third choice. But I think that charging headlong into, into the system that is just simply not designed to have other viable parties isn't going to work. I think to, to get more than two choices in a presidential election, we would have to do the work of building uh, a multi-party system. The way we do that is through a change like proportional representation that directly changes the political science in play that directly makes it so that um, parties can compete at the lower level so that then they could become viable and compete at a higher level too. Now, again, I know that's disappointing because that's like a very long, uh, you know, we're, we're advocating for this right now, but we're not gonna, you, you wouldn't again be able to snap your fingers and see the effects of it tomorrow, certainly not before the 24 election, even if we were to, even if Congress was to, to you know, adopt it before then. But that's, that's I think the, the only solution in the long run to get, uh, to get more viable parties and to, to not be in the situation where we're stuck with, with just two. So again, we're not talking about changing how the presidential election system works. Um, there's all kinds of ways that we could, we could change and improve that process too. But, um, but staying out of that, uh, cause that's not our area of focus, we're talking about a system that would change the culture of uh, our democracy, our politics, um, and allow for a multi-party system to begin to flourish. And so you would see effects of it, not just in the house, uh, where, where you now have multi-member districts, but also in- in Senate races and, and probably in presidential races at some point.
0: That's, that's fascinating and, and a really good, you know, I'll explain the, the idea that building that out at the congressional level or even, you know, state legislatures allowing parties to form over time could help them become competitive. Um, yeah, I think that's really interesting. And so I want to turn now to sort of a couple of, I'll, I'll put my cards in the tabular. I am, I'm very persuaded by this argument. I, I think it makes a whole lot of sense and I think it is a good answer to some of the polarization and dysfunction that we see, but I wanted to sort mm-hmm. of steel man this present what I imagine might be some of the counter arguments people listening might think of or hear. Um, and I want to start with something, Yeah. you know, uh, sort of closely related to what you said. You made an interesting point, which is that there's a distinction between third parties or, or additional parties. And just like independence running. And I, uh-huh. I think that's really important because I think one of the advantages of a two-party system is that most people are not like you and me. They do not think about this every day. They do not spend uh-huh. most of their time thinking about politics and reading about candidates and educating themselves. They don't have time. They don't have energy. They don't have motivation. Um, they don't have the interest to do that. And so
1: uh-huh.
0: a lot of people... Especially for sort of the further down ballot you get, the more this is true. Most people pay some attention to the presidential race, maybe a little bit less to Congress and and certainly much less to local elections, state elections, things like that. So a lot of people are looking at their ballot when they go to vote and they say, I don't know who these candidates are. But I know that my values or my beliefs or my ideology closely align with the Democratic Party or with the Republican Party. And Mm -hmm. I see on this ballot that this guy's a Democrat and this person's a Republican. I'm going to vote for the Democrat. I don't know a thing about them. But, but that is right. enough for me. And there's nothing inherently, a lot of people might take umbrage at that and say, well, everyone should educate themselves. But there is value in the fact that most yeah. people don't have a chance, at the time to do that. And so this gives them a shortcut that allows them to express their beliefs without having to do all that work. So all of that is to say, totally. in a multi-party system, instead of there being two parties, there are three or five or six parties, which makes that. You know substantially more complicated for people to try to parse that out um, they have to spend more time sort of learning about what those parties are about in order to be able to take advantage of the knowledge about what those parties values are and how they align with their own so it's a really long long question but but how do you sort of respond to that that it would make it more difficult for voters to sort of parse out who most closely aligns with their beliefs and their values
1: yeah no that is a super smart question i i agree with the first thing you said which is that there's no shame in recognizing the value in a party label on a ballot. Uh, I think it's super important that that we that we have that and that, um, like you said, you for a functional democracy to work, where voters are actually having an impact on, first of all, are actually voting, and second of all, that their vote has an impact on who represents them. Um, you need you need to have an educated electorate, but you can't place like all the burden on individual voters and, you know, and just assume that every, you know, everyone in between all of the things that they have to juggle in their regular life, uh, you know, that, that they have time to go read seven books about politics before, but, you know, this is not, that's not, that's not fair. And, and it's not functional. It, it, um, it's totally implausible. But I think that, um, When it comes to the number of parties on a ballot, we're not, first of all, talking about um, expanding to, like, what some countries have where they've got, like, 20, 30 parties that are competing. Um, You see those in different countries that, A, have a, you know, tend to have a political culture and some heritage that, like, that kind of system makes sense for them because they, you know, for whatever reason, um, it's, like, historically baked in um and some other political science reasons why that is but um we're talking about like you said maybe three to six parties if you in the long run if you were to make this kind of change and what we see is one voters consistently saying they want more options about two-thirds of americans consistently say that they want a third I'm sorry, that they want more parties, not just the third party, but they want more than than two. So voters are saying it's what they want. Secondly, I think it's not quite as when when we're only talking a few parties rather than twenty, it's not super complicated because most of what that would look like is again already distinctions that we already know exist within the parties. In other words, you know, when a couple of years ago we, we put this quiz together for the new york times uh that's that i believe the article is called like if america had six parties which one would you be in and it's a quiz you can take it it's a political ideology quiz, I took that quiz. Oh, I took- okay there you go <laughs> <laughs> it's fun it's fun and and i think that most people like you get to the end and it's like the parties are like the uh oh gosh i can't probably say them off the top of my head but like the the new liberal party or the um growth and opportunity party, which is like the, the GOP business side or the, the Christian right party or, you know, whatever. And these are parties that would have, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's imagined, you know, we don't have the system now, but it's, it's looking at the, the two party system that we do have and the fractures within the two parties that we do have and looking how those would probably naturally fracture out over time into, into a multi-party system. And they're, my point is, they're like identifiers that people already really hold to, and I think when when anyone takes that quiz, you know, a voter would quite happily say, like, yeah, yeah, this is this is really why I'm a Republican because I'm actually more like this kind of conservative Republican. The voters understand that about themselves, and so you give them a few more options, like they've been asking for. Um, and I, I don't think it would be it would be overly burdensome. There are there are ways to to do proportional representation that would be more complex and less complex, because again, some of it comes down to really complicated stuff like ballot design and uh, you know which particular system you use. But overall I, I don't think that, that moving to slightly more parties would, would create that much of a burden for voters.
0: Alright, and then the, the second counter argument or, or critique that comes to my mind is, you know, taking a look at uh, the rest of the world. um, Yeah. And thinking about how, you know, look, Italy just elected a far right, uh, you know, a a far right uh, prime minister whose party has like its roots in Mussolini's uh, party. And, uh, you know, in France, Marie Le Pen is also a far right Trumpy type figure is very popular in the UK. uh, You know, they can't seem to keep a prime minister for more than a few months at a time. Uh, Israel, which is a country whose politics I've, I've always followed very closely, uh, has had, you know, four or five governments over the past three years. Uh-huh. All these countries have some form of proportional representation. And so the, the question is, we're seeing this this so similar types of dysfunction um, in democracies across the world that have proportional representation. So, you know, someone might be listening and think, hold on, like. Is, mm-hmm. is, is proportional representation really the answer if we're seeing a lot of other countries that have proportional representation facing not quite the same type of polarization and dysfunction as we are, but certainly um, there seems to be something else going on.
1: Sure, yeah, no, good question. Um, I say two things. One, there is something else going on. Uh,
0: I, I would I would
1: agree with that. But before getting into that, I, I, I would say this. Firstly, so the UK isn't proportional. Um, And France is not, they have like a two round system, but like Italy and and Israel, like you said, are, are certainly examples of, of proportional countries that have super dysfunctional governments. Those, um, both see a, a huge number of parties. I'm actually less familiar with, with Italy's system. I have to admit so I don't want to get too into the weeds on on trying to to describe what's going on there. But but as I understand it, a lot of it, similar to Israel, has to do with uh, the country's own sort of unique heritage and, um, you know, why they have so many political parties. I can talk about Israel's a little bit in greater detail. Israel's a, a strange outlier when it comes to proportional countries or, or any country, because the way they vote is they have one district for the whole country. Yeah. And everyone just votes for a party, and that's it. That's how their that's how their Knesset is is elected. That's totally different than, than what we're talking about in the U.S., where you still have states, you still have districts, uh, and in you know a, a state like California might have I don't know ten districts or something like that to you know to to elect their delegation. Still, so again, like kind of like we were talking about earlier, the number of political parties. Is determined by how many representatives uh, are chosen per district, because that threshold gets lower. This is getting this is getting like a little nerdy and into the weeds, but um, it's essentially that like in Israel, because the whole country is just one district, and so that means I can't I, I don't you might know off the top of your head exactly how large their legislative chamber is, but all of yeah, those it's a, seats. One hundred twenty. Okay, so all one hundred and twenty. That's just in they're elected in one district. So the threshold to win a seat there for a party is like two percent, I think. So very, very low threshold. In like in a country in a country like the Netherlands, they have like they have the same situation there, much more stable country, but uh, but they also have a ton of parties because they they elect their Congress the same way, and so you have like an animal rights party that you know th- that's able to win seats, which. A lot of people there might like people in the United States might like that kind of thing, too. But it just shows that, like, you have these parties that are just dedicated to, like, one thing um, that, you know, that's part of why Israel, it's so hard to form a coalition there because because it's so divided. That is a far cry from the type of proportional representation that we're talking about in in the U.S. But it's your overall point that there are proportional countries that still have problems. There seem to be this sort of, like, kind of anti-democratic wave. Uh, across Europe and, and much of the world. Um, that's all, all true and politics is hard and politics is the managing of conflict by nonviolent means. Um, and conflict, you know, if we were to move to proportional representation and start you know, seeing results of it over the next decade, uh, we would still have big political conflicts in the United States. Um, this wouldn't make all of that go away uh, but it would help manage conflict better, uh, than, than the way we do it currently. And I think that, I mean, take, take Israel as another example. Imagine if Israel was using the type of elections that we use, <laughs> it, like it would, you if they had a two party system, it would probably be a lot, uh, a lot worse, um, because you'd see the sort of what's Netanyahu's party, the, the, like, or whatever, yeah yeah yeah, like yeah you know, I could go down that rabbit trail, but yeah, overall, this is this is a better way to manage conflict, particularly in a society that's already divided in two. You know, when the US government is offering uh, support to other countries that are trying to set up their constitution and set up their government, we don't recommend the system that we currently use to elect our Congress. Uh, because it's particularly bad for countries that just went through a civil war or have some like us versus them natural divide uh, in the, in their country. Because if you if you move to a system that naturally pits people against each other, that naturally divides the country into just two camps, that you know that just exacerbates that problem. And so, if you can if you can move away from that by scrambling. Uh, that two-party divide creating more options. I think that's, you know, you'll still have complications. You'll still have problems. You'll still have, you know, things that politics needs to manage, but they become a lot more manageable. Uh, and compromise is incentivized rather than
0: conflict. Yeah, yeah, and and thank you for correcting me on the UK and France. They don't. They're not proportional representation, but they are You know, multi-party or at least three-party yeah. Yeah. four-party system. True. So. True. And I I take all of that. And again, I I broadly buy this argument and think it would be a really positive reform. So I just uh, I just want to ask you one more question. And that is sort of, you know, strategic, Uh, you know, these are major changes to the way we do elections that you're talking about, Um, you know, in particular, as with any sort of change to electional, like even something like campaign finance. Right. Like because you're evolving changing the law and the people you have to convince are the ones who benefit by definition from the current system that's going to be really difficult. So I guess just yeah. what what is your organization and other like-minded organizations doing? What is your plan for moving to a more proportional system? Because again, it is a a fairly, you know, significant reform uh, that would dramatically change the way we we govern and do elections in this country. Um, And it's no small thing to sort of convince policymakers that that this uh, is the way to go.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally true. Um, It's no small thing um, if you compare it to other sort of big reforms that get talked about in kind of the democracy reform world of, okay, let's zoom out and think about what structural changes could we make in theory, you know, that we can't make right now because the politics aren't there. But like, what what could we do overall? Proportional representation has a leg up on a lot of those other reforms, things like getting rid of the Electoral College or changing the Senate is elected or whatever your, your kind of reform is, uh, because it doesn't take a constitutional amendment, because Article 1, Section 4 of the Constitution allows Congress to change how Congress is elected. So they can just do this with simple legislation. Obviously, that's not easy to do, but but it's it's a lot easier than a constitutional amendment process. So um, this has this is a reform that could make other reforms more possible um, because it's easier to do than some of the bigger stuff. Now, that's not answering your question though, because your your point is, is really good that our you know the dysfunction that we're trying to diagnose here and that we're, that we're spending our time talking about is exactly why it would be very hard to pass something like this right now. And that's, that's definitely true. Now, a couple things. We, as an organization, kind of our our theory of change is that change happens very slowly, and then all at once. Um, and you see that a lot throughout history, where large institutional change would seem impossible, and then something happens. Oftentimes, it's something bad uh, happening in the country, and then all of, the, you know, all of a sudden, change is more possible. We don't we don't want to think (laughs) go down this road too much, but like in the, in the period after January six, like the two week period or whatever it, there was a sort of a, the feeling of a window that, that was open that like, okay, maybe Congress will do something about, you know, about, about the problems, about the capital B problems that have, have been kind of uh, putting us here. And, you know, that didn't happen. But um, if, whether it's, in response to some kind of catastrophe, or uh, hopefully not. Hopefully, it's just because um, of some kind of political realignment, um, or that Republicans and Democrats have gotten fed up with the the level of dysfunction and decide to work together to make some kind of change. That we want proportional representation to be, you know, sort of baked and ready, something that's well understood on Capitol Hill, that's well understood in Washington D.C that people understand what the reform is so that they know what it could solve. So that if there's the option of, you know, passing some large piece of legislation to try to tackle uh, the problems that the United States has been facing, that this is sort of well understood and ready to go. Um, And so that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to kind of put it in that position so that Washington understands what this is. And if we have the opportunity to legislate, on some something like this that, that we can pull it off the shelf and have it ready to go, um, I think to your point about politicians not wanting to vote against the system that got them elected, that's a really good point and is certainly true in a lot of cases. But I think we're also seeing on both sides politicians increasingly saying, "Okay, this doesn't work." You know, I, there's a, there's there's a lot of Uh, reasons that members of Congress that want to actually pass legislation and do their job don't like the system as it it currently is because, you know, they have to spend all their time fundraising and they have to, uh, you know, fight the other party harder than they maybe even want to because they want to work to actually get some bill passed that, that has no shot in the current system. So I think that there's We've found that members, I think, are increasingly uh, willing to zoom out a little bit and say, okay, we can't do something maybe right now, but what are the options in the long run to, to fix this? Um, and, you know, even in just the last couple of months, I mean, after Congress spent three weeks playing musical chairs with the speakership, we saw more people just in reaction to that say, okay, whoa, 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 like this doesn't, this is crazy. This is broken. This doesn't work. You know, even if we can't fix it right now, what could we do to fix it? We have to start digging into the toolkit at some point and, and looking for solutions, even if they're not immediately viable. So um, I, I think this is a lot more viable than than it would seem because of that, because the system itself is simply unsustainable. And, you know. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe things will get better on their own, in which case, great. Uh, but if, if Washington continues in this funk of dysfunction and increasing polarization, I think it's going to reach a point where, where we do get to some kind of breaking point. And hopefully that's a coalition of Republicans and Democrats working together to, to fix the problem at its core.
0: Awesome. Well, that is a great place to end uh, on that on that optimistic note. So, Dustin, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, is there anything else you you'd like to sort of just add to wrap up before we before we close? Thank you. Yeah, I'll just mention you
1: can uh, you can follow Fix Our House on social media at Fix Our House. Um, you can check out our website uh dot where you can learn more and and sign up for our newsletter and get
0: involved. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks. All right, folks, we covered a lot of ground today, from how features of our own political system foster division and dysfunction, to potential reforms that might create a healthier political system. Thanks again to Dustin for joining us, and for a great conversation. See you next time on the Georgetown Public Policy Review Podcast.